Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Westwood One presents The Pollsters. The Pollsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So <laughs> we are – this is the last thing that we're doing before I leave for vacation, which is very exciting. And we have a little song that's related to uh, one of the acts that's going to be. I'm going to be at the Glastonbury Music Festival. We're recording on Wednesday. I leave tonight. The festival starts on Friday. It, you may not have heard of it, but if you're in the UK, you've definitely heard of it, heard of it because 200,000 people go every year. It's pretty exciting. There are – I mean – Katy Perry is going to be there, Radiohead, Chic, who was there last time I went. It was pretty fantastic. Foo Fighters, that would be fun. Foo Fighters are going to be there. I would love to go to that. There are also, here's a, like, run. Jamie Cullum. Have you ever heard Jamie Cullum? No. Okay, so Jamie Cullum is one of my favorites. Mm. Um, Tweet me some music recommendations, people. So he's kind of like a. like a British Michael Bublé plays jazz piano. But oh. in a very awesome way, if that description did no, not that's sound good. like it appealed to you. No, that's good. Me, I mean, this is the main stage. So what I pasted here in the script is just a pyramid stage, which is the main stage. It's in the shape of a big pyramid. There are like a hundred stages. I mean, there are, you know, acts all over yeah. the all over but the place. Maybe, so maybe but he's like made it to the main Jamie stage. Jamie is Michael Bublé mixed with Ben Folds. Oh, no, I good. don't know if that works. I got to see him play. This is my only, like... I got to see him play at 930 Club in like 2007. You're an OG. When I was, you know, in my early 20s and we went down to the bar in the basement of 930 yes. Club and like he and his crew went down there and they were doing shots and I was just so excited. Vintage Kristen. I know. I wasn't like a groupie or anything. We then like <laughs> no, hopped no, to the cabin good. and went back I, out no. to our apartment out in Roslyn and was like, that was just such a fun concert. But, but <laughs> um, yeah, highly recommend. So folks who are following these things, tweet me your recommendations. I cannot guarantee that I'll make anything because if you've been to this thing, you know how hard it is to get around because you have to like walk through mud and people for like miles. But I will be at the <laughs> park area. That's kind of where I hang out. But then there's also a place called Left Field, you know, where they'll like the – countercultural programming is yes. right panel so let's be like i was just thinking like that's a fast track to like annoying my husband like hey i'm gonna go, go see a panel let's go see a panel like maybe there's a panel on what's wrong with polling <laughs> <laughs> that oh, i can, I can <laughs> anyway i'm not gonna do that well but. the other big band that is playing with headlining friday night yeah is radiohead that's right What are our top lines well, this Margie, week? What's special? <laughs> we had a very big special yesterday. 
We all no longer that wish we were special. That was a beautiful music transition, by the way, from Radiohead to special elections. Like, yes. That was perfect. That's right. Where else can you find that except and on the pollsters? Except on the pollsters. Uh, Georgia special. The polls were not actually as far off as you might think reading through your Twitter feed, but the polling sucks games have begun yet again, we will discuss. Then uh, we'll talk a little bit about Donald Trump's approval ratings. The Russia story rolls onward, fresh polling about whether voters have moved in their opinions on that issue. When presidents retire, turns out it makes them a lot more popular. We'll also take a look at polling on civility. Do people think we are coming apart as a nation? Um, Some interesting work about the differing top issue between those living in urban, rural, and suburban areas. There was a poll done of PR folks about whether they would go work in this administration. And last but not least, some polling on summer vacations. That's right. Happy summer solstice, by the way. It's, the, it's semi-annual mispronunciation of Kristen's maiden name day. <laughs> I know. That's great. You must have like a real attachment to the summer solstice. I'm thinking about like having a little shindig at my house this weekend. Just depend if the weather is nice, right? maybe like have a little summer solstice party. That's good. That's not how my maiden name is pronounced. There's no S in the middle. <laughs> but, you know. Hasn't never stopped people before. <laughs> it's all good. They're going to just charge through that name and say it however we'll they press want to. onward. But first – A little word from our sponsor. So are you hiring? Do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology efficiently matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. No juggling emails or calls to your office. Simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. So find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. And one more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. But now the poll of the week. Dad bods. We have covered this topic before. It's n- we just can't quit this topic. <laughs> it was Father's Day last weekend. And so why not talk about dad bods? Planet Fitness and Kelton Global did a poll. Dad bod is the new shape of sexy. 92% of men with dad bods are satisfied with their marriage. Three in five men do not feel judged for having a dad bod. People feel it's a sense of pride. Two-thirds of women find dad bods attractive. Okay, this – Yeah, stand by. How did <sighs> – I, I have a polling question as we are want to do on this show. How do you get a crosstab of guys with dad bods? How do you know that? I guess Do you ask, ask them to people. self-identify as – Right. Having a dad bod? Yeah. Is One dad bod the new six-pack? self-ID category. <laughs> 80% say they'd be proud to have a husband with a dad bod. 83% of mothers would be proud to have a husband with a dad bod. So, you know, that's like it's fine that dads with dad bods, whatever that is. Because like at some level the name is like, if, you know, if you're a dad and you have a body, which you do if you're answering a question, you have a dad bod, right? But I guess it means like a, like a proudly somewhat flabby dad bod. I guess that's what that means. Hence my question about this crosstab. Right. Do the people responding know what a dad bod is? You're just basically responding to like the meme. Or you know? did people respond with like BMI, 
body fat percentage. I'm like, sure is no. That, I'm positive you are correct. That is not <laughs> how this was done. Um, and I'm beefing on this dad bod poll. Well, I don't forget like about it. that. I, I, like I am in, um, like I'm a little – like there's no like – curvy mom bod meme it's just like you know it's just like male i mean i'm sorry not to sound i mean i'm not gonna apologize it's just like male privilege like yeah i got a flabby body and i'm proud of it and there was a poll showing everybody thinks it's awesome and then it's like there is no meanwhile there are a zillion like actual academic studies about women feeling anxious about like very small fluctuations in their body weight but there's no like poll like hey mom bods you know yeah it's uh, you know everybody loves mom bods. Um, there isn't that, so uh, that makes me sad about the dad bod meme. Not because I'm anti dad bod, dad bods, whatever. I'm just in favor of like more body it is acceptance. The feminist critique of the yes. dad bod poll. Yes. So I'm going to start off with that. That's going to be like <laughs> the thing I'm really outraged about this week. I mean, there's some other things to be outraged about, but that that that's with that one. I'm gonna start off with my my anger, sort of vent my anger. But anyway, let's get into something a little bit more relevant. So too. the big news last night with these special elections. <sighs> well, it was going to be the big news was a special election, even though there were other special right. elections occurring. Turns out the ones that were not being focused on were closer in the end than the one that was being focused on. So in the race, Karen Handel versus John Ossoff, Georgia 6, the most expensive congressional race in history. Uh, My colleague Patrick dug up old FEC info adjusted for inflation and found that more was spent adjusted for inflation on this race than what Ronald Reagan raised for his reelect in 1984. Like Jeez. adjusted for inflation. Whoa. A presidential reelect. So Whoa. that's a lot of money. Uh, and in the final result, wow. Karen Handel wins by 3.8 points. Uh, and the final polling average showed Handel with 0.02. So the polls at the very end had shown ties, uh, a sh- you know, a very narrow Ossoff lead or a very narrow Handel lead, Trafalgar Group, a Republican polling outfit that I don't actually know that much about. In the same way that last week I did not know that much about change research. We yep. have, somebody tweeted at us about more information there. So we'll, yes, my we'll friend, be keeping an Alex, eye on yeah. their polls. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Trafalgar uses IVR and live calls calling off a voter file. Yay for calling off the voter file. Yes, but we don't know what kind of screen. I mean, here's the thing, right? But you don't know how they define likely voters even within, hey, they called off the file. Right. And so, you know, I, I, we looked through some of these releases that came from these media outlets. So a couple things. Like one, everybody's kind of quick to have their hot take that polls are all just a pile of garbage and why are we listening to it? Like, Chuck, even, even friend of the show Chuck Todd this morning was tweeting that like we need to stop paying attention to – to polling aggregators because there are people – Trump people systematically not taking polls based Uh-oh. on this special. And I was like, I, I, I'm not, Chuck, I don't know that I'm with you on that. No. It Maybe may, he did not read the report. He did not read the APOR report. I feel like Chuck is the type of guy who would have read that report. Kylie, please send Chuck Todd your report <laughs> because <laughs> he may not have read it. But I'm sure they talked about it on MTPT. Anyway, so – yeah, so there are a couple things. Like one, remember this is a runoff in an odd year. So just figuring out what turnout is going to look like is always going to be tricky and complicated. And the public polling – and we don't have the private polling. The private polling 
you know, seemed to suggest it was close. It seemed to suggest, I mean, you could tell people were indicating that it was close because so many people were investing. If somebody thought it was all wrapped up, then that side would have, you know, maybe spent a little bit less. But um, so it, and in the end, it it was kind of close. So the, you know, the polls showed a tight race and and it was a tight race. And, you know, there's a margin of error here in these poll, in these polls, we shouldn't expect them to be exactly on the nose. And if they're not exactly within, you know, half a point, then they're, then they're a bunch of lies cooked up by liars. That's, I think a bit of an overreaction. Yeah, Nate Silver had a, a tweet that made me chuckle, which was that their model was showing, I think, a 70, 70% chance that Ossoff would win, which he said means there's a 70% chance Ossoff will win and a 30% chance that math is broken and data is bad. Right. I know, that was pretty funny. And so, you know, I think people just, you know, go a little cuckoo with, with some of these um, with some of these ratings. And then the other thing is, you know, how are the different outlets looking at trying to define the audience? And how do we know what this audience is? Is going to be when you have 36,000 or so roughly people who voted in this runoff who didn't vote in the primary. I mean, ha- like this is a complicated moving target of an electorate that is hard to identify. And the Trafalgar group used IVR and live calls. We don't know how they pulled people, right? IVR, we heard, is more likely to, you know, f- uh, find people who are downscale because it's going to be landline as opposed to sales. Um, Opinion Savvy, which is one of the other media outlet uh, uh, polls, used IVR. And it looks like text from the what I could tell from how they described what they did. Very interesting. Where they explained like an opt-in process and on mobile. So it sounded like text and the survey was very okay. short and seemed text-friendly. But like it wasn't – didn't quite say like this was done online or this was done by text. That didn't use like a word. Maybe I missed it. That said like – Get the APOR transparency initiative on it. This is the way people <laughs> responded. But it was on mobile, which you know could be a lot of things. Anyway, so th- those are – that's different than – the way a lot of internal polls would work. An internal poll for a candidate, if you were to hire a pollster to work on your campaign, would likely not use IVR and text for your strategy. Maybe at the end to kind of see where people are, but at some level, you know, finding out where you are for a close race a couple days out is less important for a campaign than actually spending that money in your communications or your field. So, the folks who were trying to figure this out in these public polls were using it for news and, you know, they, they also have budget considerations and they're not trying to do anything other than measure the horse race. So it, it's harder to see where sort of the race was going. But if you looked at the average, the RCP average, it did seem like the race was narrowing. So, I mean, as it was getting closer, mm-hmm. it was clear that the race was narrowing. It was not predicting as comfortably the the final outcome as people would have liked. And so people want to root, you know, or point to a polling failure. I, I don't I, know I don't if think I, this fully qualifies as a polling failure. No. This the result was within the margin of error of the final polls that were released. The polls showed it closing toward the end. Did the poll show handle winning by four? No, they did not. But they showed some showed her winning by one or two or showed it close. So yep. I I don't view this as a systematic polling fail. Yep. Yep. Now, you can have other conversations about what this means for – and there are plenty – there are zillions of takes out there on what this means for D's and R's. And I think whatever would have happened either way, Republicans who would have wanted to freak out if Handel lost, you know, um, 
could have still freaked, you know, could still freak out. You know, people who Republicans who would want to dismiss the results of handle loss would have been, been able to do that. I think, you know, ultimately people are going to be able to continue, <laughs> continue as they were, regardless, given the mercurial nature of this race and the fact that it's hard to really replicate like this kind of spending, this kind of district, this kind, you know, all the things that converge these types of candidates, et cetera, um, make it kind of a little bit of a one of a kind. Well, over the last week, we've had President Trump tweeting out a Rasmussen poll. Not all polls are hashtag fake news, apparently. Rasmussen poll had him at 50% job approval. He was pretty excited about that, but that is not what the polling averages say. Kind of like the opposite. Yeah, so the polling averages, uh, we'll we'll shift for a moment into the Trump job approval category, since we kind of skipped over that last week. Uh, Trump's job approval as of press time, HuffPost pollster average has it at 40.3%. So I, I wrote my column this week in the Washington Examiner on this because I still feel like there's a lot of talk about like Trump's numbers are plummeting. Trump's numbers are so bad. At his inauguration, his numbers were like 44 percent. Now they're like 40 percent. It's They're not great and they're not moving in the right direction. But this is not like some catastrophic his numbers have collapsed. And so I, I try to draw the contrast between where was Obama around Inauguration Day and where was Obama – around late June, his numbers had fallen from the mid-60s to the mid-50s, so significantly better than where Trump is right now. Um, He had further to fall, but did fall about 10 points. Well, he had this kind of big honeymoon. And his falling off was among Republicans, right? You had like 40 to 50 percent of Republicans approving of him at the start. By the time you hit the summer, you've had stimulus, you've had health care. And Democrats have given no honeymoon, zero, zip, Trump started off at 8 percent with Dems. So he had nowhere to fall there. So the only place he has to lose are among kind of sympathetic independents and Republicans. And there his numbers, like among Republicans, have gone from mid to high 80s to mid to low 80s, but it hasn't been huge. So my column is about the Emily Eakin study that we talked about on last week's show and how Trump's coalition has a bunch of these different buckets in it. And every time Trump does something that ticks off one of those buckets, the question always comes up. Well, is this the thing that's going to drive his voters away, right? Oh, my gosh. He bombed Syria. Didn't he run on not bombing other countries, even though he also said he was going to bomb the blank out of ISIS? Like, well, no, there are some of his voters that want him to bomb things. And there are other voters that they may not like that he has bombed Syria, but they like that they think he's going to build a wall. And there are voters that are frustrated that the wall hasn't gone up, but they like that he's renegotiating trade deals. And there are some voters that don't want him to negotiate these trade deals. They like free trade, but they also like low taxes, and they're super pumped about potential taxes. Right. And also, this happened five seconds ago, and maybe people haven't read all of your hot takes yet. (laughs) So my column is basically a big, like, dump of cold water on this idea that like there's any one thing that is the thing that is going to cause Trump's approval ratings to fall to like 30 percent overnight. It's not saying there isn't something out there that could happen. Or slowly or that it's a slow attrition rather than like today's the day. This is the thing. Finally, right. but I feel like numbers the discussion are going to explode. Is always around like, is this the thing? And I think short of us getting into like nuclear war with North Korea, I shouldn't even like say that after this week. But I mean, short of something like that, it is hard for me to envision a single thing that drives away enough of Trump's coalition that his numbers fall much, much, much further, much, much, much quickly. Right. Well, that wasn't really a sentence, but you know what I meant. Yep. Yep. I mean, I think Gallup showed that Republicans were dropping three points. I mean, 
so this may be happening, but it will happen slowly. I guess people are looking as just a way to frame the conversation. Is this the thing? So you're because yeah. you were talking about the thing and what's the impact of the thing? And and, we, and that's how people frame it. We but we were on ABC this week with Martha Raddatz, and right before our panel came on, uh, she did a, a package where she went to Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, and talked to voters there who like Trump. And a lot of them she talked to were like, "Yeah, I don't love the tweeting. I don't." know that he's delivered yet. And so, of course, if he does not deliver, those numbers absolutely could go lower. If suddenly all the pieces of his coalition feel like, well, what am I getting out of this presidency? Yeah, then you could lose things. But right now he has this weird, delicate balance of like ticking off people and giving them stuff that they like in kind of equal measure that has held this weird coalition together. I mean, maybe and we can jump to this and then go back to the Russia stuff. I mean, maybe it's the hindsight. Maybe it's just being in the news that is hurting Trump because in hindsight, Bush and Obama, their favorables are rebounding. This is the you don't know what you've got till it's gone principle that we saw around ACA. When all of a sudden people think ACA is going to get That's revealed, right. suddenly they start liking ACA more. That's right. Or when Will Farrow was at the like not the correspondence dinner, Samantha B thing as President Bush, like, <laughs> hey, miss me yet? Like that was <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that. So you could see, I mean, his numbers have really, really, both of them have had real steady rebound in their favorability. This is favorable, not job rating or how good of a job they did as president, but have, you know, uh, Bush has gone back up to 60 and Obama's gone back up to 63. I mean, that's, and most that's of the, quite a bit of movement. For Bush, most of that growth has come from independents and Democrats. Independents, uh, George W. Bush, when he left office, 29% favorables among independents, 10% favorables among Democrats. I mean, those are Trump, Trumpy numbers. Now, 41% favorable among Democrats, 56% favorable among independents. Hmm. Well, I'm sure Trump is planning what his post-presidency, like, nice, gentle thing is, right? I'm sure that's somebody's task with that. He's probably going to go to Mar-a-Lago and play a lot of golf, Right. Which, you know. And tweet a lot. And tweet a lot. Okay. So one of the things that's hurting Trump um, in the news is obviously the – continued conversation about Russia and about investigations and about the um, uh, the Comey firing um, and so on. And this APNORC poll that was released last week has quite a bit of interesting data on there, which I think um, – you know, makes a lot of sense. I mean, for one, it shows a real partisan divide on how concerned people are. That concern is different than sort of their baseline views on what's right or wrong. So you have a lot of independents who say they're, you know, they're not particularly, uh, or this is D's and R's, you have like Democrats are overwhelmingly concerned. Republicans are not at all concerned. There's not a lot of people who are partisan and think like, oh, this might be an issue. We should look into it. Let's take a very measured approach and let's just get all the information. It's like either this is a huge, huge, huge problem or why are we continuing to investigate this? This is so silly. Yeah. Yeah. And and then the number that really stuck out for me from all of this is this question of how much respect do you think Donald Trump has for this country's democratic institutions and traditions where a third say a great deal and two thirds say not at all. 
now 89% of Democrats say he doesn't have respect for democratic institutions. 69% of Republicans say he does, but that means about a third, say, of Republicans say he doesn't, which seems quite high. Although bear in mind, I wonder if there are some Republicans for whom that's a feature, not a bug. Oh, good point. Good point. And, you know, the other thing is this phrase, democratic institutions and traditions, like that's a phrase that insiders use to talk about, like the norms of when you're talking to the FBI director, such and such happens or whatever, like these things that, you know, democratic institutions and traditions for a lot of voting respondents may be like the flag or, you know, elections or, you know, people themselves, voters are reaching out to voters. It can mean all kinds of things. It doesn't necessarily mean sort of the ins and outs of how the White House is supposed to operate. Yeah, I, I don't know that most people responding to that question are thinking deeply about like, Hmm. Has Sean Spicer done enough on-camera briefings? That's like part of their <laughs> right. answer, which we'll get to that topic. Right, right, anyway. right, right, right. Um, and then you also had uh, like a slight majority say that they were concerned about leaks being – that the news leaks about the Russia investigation are causing more harm than revealing information that's important. So, you know, it's not quite – I mean the numbers are not good for Trump for sure, but there are still some interesting ways in which voters are divided here. Yeah. Um, one thing that voters are not divided on is division, as right. we've talked about on the show. Um, CBS News did some polling about the response to last week's tragic shootings um, at the Republican congressional baseball practice. And so CBS asks, is the tone and civility of U.S. political debate getting better, getting worse, or is it the same? 68% say getting worse, 24% say the same, 7% say getting better, but it's about two-thirds of liberals, conservatives, and moderates that feel things have gotten worse, not a big divide across the so, party. The one thing we're united is on that, is that we're divided. Um, and here's another interesting question where they ask – Republicans and they ask Democrats about people of the other party and say, are people of the other party just people who disagree with you or are they a threat to your way of life? And there's not that much difference here, just a little bit of difference, but um, about a quarter, a fifth to a quarter of folks of partisans say people of the other party are a threat to their way of life. I don't know if I think that number is scary high or if I should be glad that it's not a majority. I mean, there's kind like, of a social I don't know what to pressure that against. Right. It's it's a bit of, you know, half full or, you know, three fourths full or one quarter empty. But um, but majorities among each partisan group are optimistic that people of different political views can come together. It's not I, a, like it's not a like really clear majority, it's but it's not it is. a really clear majority. But it is a majority, and it is again similar across all the partisan groups. So numbers that can kind of keep you up at night. Yeah, it, it's it's not great. It's not great. No, no. I mean, you know, people want to be optimistic. Um, we'll talk about that when we get to the rural area, but uh, rural division poll, but. Um, but aren't don't feel positive right this minute. Um, so then the other thing that's been going on is questions about what's happening in the White House communications and briefing room. Who's getting what job? What's Sean Spicer's role going to be? Is there somebody else who's going to be handling the briefings or a rotating group of briefings? Is the president going to be doing the briefings? And then USC uh, School of PR did a poll of PR professionals asking them about the PR coming out of the White House, which I just thought was really interesting. What do you, I mean, it's very meta. And then there was like PR around this poll around what PR folks think about yeah. the PR industry. I mean, what did you think when you looked at this? Uh, so I think you have to 
take into consideration uh, the ideology of the respondents when looking at most of these responses, right? A majority of the sample identifies as liberal, 55.3%. So this is not a representative sample of the public. This is a very defined audience, and it tends to be folks living in urban areas, liberal, you know, coastal elites, the people that Trump loves to, like, beat up on. Um, But it, it, it... the assessment is not good, right? That these folks, their professional assessment of the White House is that uh, they believe that the White House communication team constantly changes their views and statements. Um, 84% seem to agree with that statement, um, which that's a part of it. But going back to like my, my column earlier where I mentioned the, you know that there are lots of different factions within Trump's base, this has led to lots of different factions within his White House. So you've got the staunch conservatives we talked about last week from Emily Eakin's study. Um, that's sort of your Reince Priebus wing. You've got your American preservationists. That's the Bannon wing. You've got your free marketeers. That's the Gary Cohn wing. So in some ways, this administration, like you'll hear statements that sound contradictory. And in part, it's because his administration is reflecting a coalition that is sometimes contradictory. Um, so, you know, they – is it – yes, there are some individuals who will change their statements. But it's also that there will be multiple people with different Right. Messages. And that creates confusion. Like, which one of you is actually speaking for the president? What is the actual policy that's going to come down? Um, 80% of the folks polled in this PR professionals poll think that the White House distorts the truth. 63.5% say they purposefully lie. Uh, 36.3% agree that they do their best despite the circumstances. 32% say they work hard to explain the administration's policies. Um, only 15.7% think they are treated unfairly by the media. And that was interesting to me because most folks you talk to in PR will say like, oh, yeah, the media is always out to get you. Not from like a bias perspective, but, you know, they'll have more of a sort of like if you work in the industry on the flack side. Right. You know, being fearful that, well, I got to walk carefully with this reporter. So. Right, right. And here's what was funny. They said, if the current president of the United States invited you to join the White House communications team, would you accept his invitation for any of the following positions? And they show the percentage that would not accept that position. And it's like 80% basically for all of these, 80 to 90%. But it's funny that they Press tested. secretary is the highest. Is the highest, right? Nobody but wants that job. Nine, almost 90% say they would not accept that position. Now, I, I get that secretary is, you know, kind of this visible jousting more than some of these other positions. But it's interesting that they asked about six different positions. I mean, there's not really that much of a difference between people who say, I wouldn't accept director of communication. Oh, but I would take, you know, director of strategic communication. I mean, these Isn't are- Isn't that what Kellyanne did though? I guess. But if you're a survey resp- – I mean, it's I one thing for Kellyanne <laughs> to have like a, a job title that she would prefer. It's another thing for like a survey respondent to be like, no, no, no. I would not take press secretary. I would definitely take director of social media. I mean, I just think that's kind of funny. But, you know, hey, they're PR professionals, so they're they're getting into the weeds. But, I mean, that's a question that you will not see, I don't think, anywhere else. Mm, no. <laughs> six, testing six different job titles. Um, so, yeah, so I thought that was, uh, that was pretty interesting. And not surprisingly, Sean Spicer is seen as not I having – they pulled their names. I know. Well, I wonder how many of them know who some of these people are. I'm sure – I'm sure, so like, you know, yeah. everybody knows who Sean Spicer is. Everybody knows who Kellyanne Conway is. People are learning who Sarah Huckabee Sanders is more and more because she's behind the podium more and more. But Dan Scavino, like I know who Dan Scavino is because I am in this world. 
I wonder how many of these respondents even know who Dan Scavino is. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, yeah, exactly. So, yeah, they poll tested whether these folks were having a positive or negative impact on the White House's brand. The numbers weren't great. Hey, School but- of PR professionals did a good job at finding something, creating a poll that people would want to talk about. Yes, they did. Um, okay, so, t- so let's talk about this Washington Post Kaiser thing that was on the homepage, front page on Sunday. What did you think when you looked at this, Kristen? I know that you found this. Yeah, so, uh, you know, not surprising in with, some ways. Within this poll, the, they're really focusing on separating out the views of folks that live in rural areas versus uh, urban areas. And it appears to me that they really work to oversample rural folks to have a robust enough sample because this can be hard. It can be hard to get a good sample of folks that live in very diffuse locations. Um, so they have, you know, over a thousand rural residents in this poll. And, you know, they ask people things like, what's the biggest problem facing your local community? And here the top responses were crime and safety, jobs and unemployment, and cost and avail or pardon me, and drug abuse. Uh, those were all sort of in in double digits. Actually, is this I want to be sure that this didn't get like cut off. Well, I didn't do all the things I didn't oh, all there was the nothing, things that, nothing. Like, that were one and zero oh, okay, but no okay. big I'm things. like I'm looking at this chart I'm like wait a minute I just want to be sure that I'm saying I this. didn't because it's an open end so there's like a million yep, things nope 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 I got it okay uh, I, I want to be sure I was not like giving and zeros. hashtag fake news on the show or yeah. like misremembering things yeah no 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 so in this I'm manipulating the data <laughs> Margie I gotta keep my eye on you to save space I gotta keep my eye on you um you know, a lot of times people will say, well, look, jobs are the number one issue. Jobs are the number one issue. Jobs are the number one issue. But jobs are not the number one issue. Gallup everywhere. shows government is the number one issue, by the way. What's the biggest problem facing the country? And uh, people said the government. That's came out last week. Yeah. But anyway, it, that's not in I mean, here. It, we are not at double-digit unemployment anymore in uh, in the aggregate. Right. But in rural America, jobs and unemployment remains the top issue um, or the, the number one problem facing their local community, 21 percent. But if you go to suburban and rural areas, it it doesn't really register nearly as high. Only 7 percent in the suburbs think that lack of jobs is a problem, is the biggest problem in their community. In urban areas, only 6 percent think lack of jobs is the big problem. In urban areas, it's crime and safety far and away. In suburban areas, it's drug abuse far yep. and away. Um, so the the jobs crisis in America, to the extent that you can, with unemployment being pretty low, you can say there's a jobs crisis, is very concentrated in these rural areas. Right. And if you look at the overall, and this is, you know, this is the kind of thing we talk about when you look at party differences, and you see it here with this urbanicity difference. If you look at the overall, you see a three-way tie for the most important, you know, biggest problem facing your community. Jobs, Drug abuse or crime. But if you look at the divisions across these regions, it's completely different ranking. Yeah. And when they they ask a later question, they say, is the availability of jobs where you live better or worse than it was 10 years ago or about the same? And for uh, urban areas, only 17 percent say it's worse than 10 years ago. For suburban folks, it's 22 percent say worse. For rural, it jumps up to 31 percent. So it's much – you know, this is much more acutely felt in rural areas over this longer time horizon. Yeah, and and the survey asked a variety of questions and and the the salience of the jobs issue in rural areas comes out in in every way they've asked it. They have another battery. How would you rate each of the following in your local community? Is it excellent or good, only fair or poor in your community? Uh, things like safety, quality of schools, place to raise children, cost of living. Um Really one of the biggest differences here, a place where people look out for each other, you know, 
the main place where the rural areas rate their community lower compared to suburban and urban areas is on jobs, job opportunities, mm-hmm. where there's a 20-point gap between rural and urban. Uh, rural areas do better uh, compared to urban areas um, um, ranking on all these other things, place where people look out for each other, safety, place to raise kids, et cetera, cost of living for sure. Um, so I think that's important. Um, also, you have – and this, I think, seemed very dispiriting. 60% about of r- people in rural areas said that they would encourage young people to leave for opportunity elsewhere, leave their area, while a majority of urban folks would encourage young people to stay um, in their area. Now, there's, there's one other question in the survey that comes much later in the questionnaire, and it's one that I think showcases the it's – the, it's one of the ones where the ideology of the respondents really shines through. Um, so, you know, in these other questions, it's much more about let's talk about the economic status of your community and things, but they are then asked about government help. Which of these two situations do you think happens more often in America today, that needy people go without government help or irresponsible people get government government help they don't deserve. For urban residents, they're pretty split. 47% say needy people going without government help is the bigger problem. 48% say irresponsible people getting government help is the problem. In the suburbs, it's a 15-point margin in favor of the irresponsible people getting government help is the big problem. In rural America, it's two to one, believing that the biggest problem is not that needy people don't get help. It's that irresponsible people get help they don't deserve. I, the, the thing that is the challenge, the messaging challenge for everybody, you know, Democrats, but Republicans, we all need to, to think about it and address it, is that in an area where people say we don't have a lot of job opportunities, that's the you know thing where we're rating our community worse compared to – how it used to be or compared to urban areas, that's clearly the challenge and pressure here. Um, there is this sense that, well, people are it, it are undeserving getting government help. And there's a similar question on um, – on poverty and and why people are poor, mm-hmm. I don't. It might have gotten cut, but it, that shows a kind of similar divide, even in an area where people say there are no job, there are fewer job opportunities here. So people say, well, there are fewer job opportunities here, but if you are poor or if you're getting government help, you may not. You know, that may be your own fault. You may not be desert and yeah. you answer that help. What I think is it, is the interesting then political thing to watch is so. On this question of what's this thing Trump going to do that's going to drive his base away, you know, with his budget or with the AHCA, there have been a lot of questions about is this going to take away Medicaid funding and don't a lot of Trump voters rely on Medicaid for their health insurance? Um, And on the other hand, if you have a lot of folks that think when they hear in the abstract, oh, this is what this bill is going to do, they don't think it's talking about them. In many cases. Now, that's why I firmly believe that uh, how it will affect people's lives is going to have the much bigger impact on whether or not it moves numbers than like, say, if it doesn't pass and then it doesn't actually change anything or if it does pass and it's good. When it comes to things like this, I think a lot of folks, they think of things in the abstract very differently than how they would respond if they experience something themselves. Yep. So last thing. Last but not least, summer vacation to summer solstice. Solstice. Maybe I should just pronounce solstice. Solstice from now on. Try and you know work on it the other way. Um, and this is another AP NORC poll that showed about half of folks tend to go on vacation this summer. I guess it seems kind of low. I don't know what my expectation would be. Um, and people who are not going on vacation say it's because they can't afford to go on a summer vacation. Um, 
it, what was interesting is this trade-off of would you prefer a longer vacation with fewer frills or would you trade time for luxury? And more people say they would prefer a longer vacation with fewer frills. Ah, I wonder how I would respond on that. I think I would pick the same thing. Yeah, it's, you know, I guess it kind of would have to depend. Depends on how few frills worked. Yeah, what, what kind of frills about. are we talking about? <laughs> so I was just, I spent the last week or so. I th- have we done a show since Kristen's Across the Planet Odyssey? Have we talked since I went to Yellowstone? Like, I would let, like, spending a week in Yellowstone would be fun. In a tent where I'm constantly worried about bears, I don't know if I could actually right. relax under those circumstances. Right. So does a roof I count would, as a frill? I would be terrified. Right. Or as a frill, like, <laughs> you have to make your own food or you're, you know, going out to eat all the time. Yeah. Or as a frill, like, the pool at the resort doesn't have, you know, fruity drink service poolside. Like, oh. what are we talking about here? <laughs> That's a pretty important frill. <laughs> that is a pretty serious. Mean, that is, excuse me. That is a standard. What's no, the I'm point just... of vacation if I can't get a corona poolside? My God. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think I would probably pick the same thing. I mean, it also depends if you have kids or you have no kids because, yeah. you know. Although in this poll, it shows that about 87% of married couples, they will vacation together. And if they have kids, 87 around that number said that they would bring their kids with them on vacation. So Margie, you... By going to this music festival, you are you are an outlier. Yep, once not an again, that's not the right. Way. Anyways, you know yep, what I mean. I'm a pi- I'm a pioneer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the first time we're doing it really like this in in quite a long time, so it's pretty exciting. Um, okay, so key findings: people feel pretty miserable about today, but optimistic about tomorrow. There's still plenty of good news out there for both parties if you're a former president. But calm down with your hot Twitter takes about polling being broken. And you're so freaking special, listeners. That's why this is one of the few things I'm going to do before I head out of the country. You can find us on Twitter at, at the Pollsters, individually at, at Margie O'Meara and at K. Soltis Anderson. Find us on Facebook, where throughout the week we post links to the stories we think you'll find interesting. We also are at www.thepollsters.com, where we have links to all of the polling resources that we think are fabulous and that you should check out. Thanks. Bye. A Westwood One podcast production.